Good morning. So glad to see y'all. And looking forward to our continuation in the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn to Acts 13 this morning. We left you off in a world of mystery last week, didn't we? Yes, we were talking about magicians and some guy named Jesus who came from a bar and lots of weird things going on there. And so far in our matriculation through Acts, uh, I would say that what we're going to cover today is truly going to be some of my favorite storytelling that we've experienced. Acts is written in the style of a narrative. It's written as a story. And so much of what we've done has been storytelling to a certain degree. Today, uh, there are, are, are parts of what we're looking at that really play out perfectly as if you're watching Lord of the Rings. So um, all you LARP fans and Lord of the Rings, Gimli 2000 strength points people, you might get real excited about this. So we'll see. Many of you may go back and watch some Lord of the Rings. But it's no secret that J.R. Tolkien and, uh, and his wonderful friends spent a lot of time borrowing from Scripture and wrote that into their stories in the struggle for good and evil. And this morning, the title of our sermon is The Battle for Your Soul. The battle for your soul. We're going to be in verses 7 through 12. So let's look there quickly um, in the first, not, not time quickly, but we're going to do a brief look um, in the first few verses, uh, verses 7 and 8. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back. We, we're showing verse 6 up there to give you some context. I'll pull it back to verse 6 as well. What's happened so far is that you're seeing the very first missionary trip has been commissioned by the church in Antioch. And we talked about how important it is to be a mission-sending church. And we're excited that that is something that Concord Bible Church is known for. And, and that when we look at this standard, this measure of the church, going back thousands of years to the first church, how do we hold up in light of what the first church was doing? And so we're excited that even one of our own is currently over uh, just somewhere north of Thailand, I believe, uh, with Shelby Parkinson, and she's taking the Word of God and teaching the Word of God uh, in that region. So being a mission-sending church is important. It's crucial. And, And this story, this part of the story in Acts, is where we see Paul and Barnabas commissioned to go out. So where do they go? They go to Barnabas' hometown. They go to Crete, the island of Crete. And what's happened is they've gone through the entire island from town to town, and now they're at the end of their journeys, and they're probably, probably at the capital. Because where they are, where we find them today, is they're going to have audience with the governor of the island. Um, stands to reason, governors hang out at the capital. So while it doesn't say, you're like, how do you know he's at the capital? Yeah, that's a little implication there. So let's look at where we're picking up the story. They've gone from town to town, they arrive in, uh, in this city, and what happens? Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. 
He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulinus, or Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Enter the dramatic, draconian sense of Christopher Nolan heavy music, jung, 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 right? Little law and order soundbite. There it is. Elimus opposes them. They are in a battle. They are in, how many of you love battles? It's like your favorite thing. Okay, good. We've got a couple. We've got a couple. This one's for you. So what does this mean? Well, let's look at it, shall we? Let me just encourage you this morning as we look at this idea of the battle of, for the soul. We're looking at this understanding of what happened in these events. This was a big moment. I don't know if you've had big moments recently, but this was a big moment for these guys. They've gone through the entire island. We hear nothing about that part of the journey. What we do hear about now is they have arrived in maybe seemingly the capital and they're getting an audience with the governor. Now, I don't know if you noticed in the, in the text, it didn't say governor. What we do know from history is the idea of what we see here, this word proconsul, that's what that meant, is that he was the governor. He was the Roman official over that, that area, that island. It says that he's a man of intelligence, and it says that he heard about Paul and, and, and uh, Barnabas. And he says, I want those guys to come. I want an audience with them. Imagine. Right? So Friday night, we had a, uh, an event of a missions local outreach that we support called Options for Women. And our wonderful Kat Conry spoke um, in front of thousands of people, no, it was hundreds of people, but it probably felt like thousands of people. And uh, she did a fantastic, big moment, right? Big moment. Do you remember how you felt, Kat, when the executive director asked you to speak? And all the time in between, knowing that you were ramping up for this and ramping up for this. Think about those moments in our life, these big moments. Well, those big moments require wisdom and insight. They require wisdom and insight. And that's kind of what we see here. Paul and Barnabas are given a great opportunity to help a soul. Now, did you catch that from what we just read? Because it just sounded like a bunch of storyline to me. And most people would just skirt over this. But when, when you get past a cursory look, there's a lot going on. The governor of Crete has asked you to come share. Now when you start out on a missions trip or you start out on some spiritual adventure, we went out as a, as a church for outreach last month and we did a prayer walk through the neighborhood and we didn't know what was going to happen. But, but maybe in our thoughts we were hoping maybe someone who's really hurting is just going to step out of their house and they're going to intersect with us and we're going to see a soul saved. And it would be this incredible thing. And maybe it would be Gavin Newsom, the lieutenant governor of California. 
Was anybody else who was doing that thinking that? I wasn't even thinking that. And I think big. I'm not sure that when Paul and Barnabas and their team were commissioned for this trip, they were thinking they were going to get an audience with the governor. But you never know with missions, do you? When God has called you to enter into the battle for souls, you never know what He's going to call you to. Your soul is the garden of wisdom. A seed of truth is planted within the soul, growing, ripening, and nourishing in times of need. I'm going to encourage you to pick up this book. We've been going through it as a staff and the elders. It's called Soul Keeping. We do not think in terms... How many of you woke up this morning thinking, ah, my soul is just really suffering today. I'm looking forward to feeding my soul. How many of us think that on a daily basis? But how many of you thought to yourself, I am just so encouraged because I've seen what God is doing. I'm so encouraged because I get to go be with my church family. I'm so encouraged because of the events that, that I see happening in people around me that I've been praying. Maybe that was you. Maybe you were saying this morning, I'm so discouraged because I'm carrying so many burdens because I'm suffering with depression, because I don't have the answers I'm looking for in life. Do you know that all of those things I just mentioned is your soul? We just don't think that way. And I think it's vitally important that we start looking at the soul because there is a battle for the soul. And it is a daily battle. This is what we're looking at today. So wisdom and insight are going to be required of Paul and Barnabas and their team. Have you ever hit the panic switch? Suddenly, you know, you have a scheduled meeting, you're going somewhere, and then you realize you're going to have to up your game quite a bit because the president of the company is going to be in the room. Or you thought you were going to dinner with your girlfriend. You arrive and her parents are there. I'm not saying that that was my experience, that was a beautiful experience. Anytime that happened, anytime your parents were there, just incredibly beautiful and, and um, it brought tears to my eyes. There are moments in our life that are big moments. Now, are those relegated to just Paul and Barnabas? No, they're not. So I really want you to work today at looking at what happens in this story, Okay? Look at what's about to happen. It is required. All of a sudden, it's a game changer. They're tromping through Crete. We have no idea how it's gone. They're heading to the end of the island. And suddenly, the governor says, bring them. I want them in front of me. I'm going to give them every... Op this is a missionary's dream. I'm going to give you audience. Go for it. The clock is ticking. Tell me everything you know about the gospel. Right? On a professional level, as a spiritual leader, you dream of those moments. But I'll tell you, this idea that big moments require wisdom and insight is exactly where your mind, where your heart, where your soul should go in those moments. 
When we feel like we're, we're faced with a, a major big moment, my encouragement is, do you go to the understanding of wisdom and insight? Many events in our lives can have an impact on the soul. So much of the time, we look at those moments as tasks. I'm going to encourage you as you see and you see unfold the events of this story. For Paul and Barnabas, it wasn't just about speaking the Gospel. Right? How many of us in an outreach opportunity, we would be thinking, I just need to get this right. Just when you say what you're going to say, just make sure what you say is right, is biblical. And then we're done. I'm out. Right? That's not how they looked at this. They saw a soul. And they saw the battle for the soul. And it's good that they, re- they looked for wisdom and insight because of what is about to happen. So we see this guy named Bar-Jesus. Does anybody know what that means? Does that catch you off guard? There's another Jesus listed in Scripture? Jesus was a very popular name at that time. It, 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 if my understanding is correct, I haven't thought about this for a long time, but I think it's, it's an uh, amalgamation of, of coming off of the Hebrew, a transliteration from the name actually Joseph. Um, and so uh, we know what Jesus means, Emmanuel. We, we have all these titles that we focus on at Christmas and, and Easter. This was not an unpopular name. But I remember going to a pizza place just inside the Jaffa Gate in the old city of Jerusalem. Um, every time I would be there, I would, I would long to go to this pizza place. It was called Abu Shanab's Pizza. And it showed this, this black and white picture of this Arab that had a mustache that went out to here. And I thought, that's got to be good pizza, right? Let's, let's just go in. And it was just the most beautiful, beautiful moment. It was raining, it was February, it was raining, and I'm sitting in this building that is centuries old. It's all stone. It's like I'm eating in a castle, and I'm listening, I kid you not, I'm listening to the Bee Gees on the radio while I'm eating a Hawaiian pizza just yards from where Jesus was crucified and rose again. That is a mind bender, folks. Um, But Abu Shanab is the same as saying Bar Jesus. Bar-Jesus simply means the Son of Jesus. Now what's interesting is this is a Greek island. So you don't make the connection like you normally would make. We don't really know why he's named Bar-Jesus, but it means Son of Jesus. That's important coming up. He's an advisor to Sergius Paulus. And he's a seer. And he's on retainer. Alright, so I really want you to kind of go to... um, how many of you remember that glorious cartoon, Aladdin? Right? Do you remember the vizier in Aladdin? What was his name? Jafar. That is Bar-Jesus. Alright? See what I just did there? You got this mental picture. And I'm going to take you to a little bit of another story called Lord of the Rings. And, and we'll get to that in a minute because we have this moment in Scripture played out perfectly in the second movie of the trilogy, The Two Towers. And you'll be able to get a perfect picture, and I bet you anything you're going to go back and you're going to Google the scene and, and, and watch what happens there. So, Bar-Jesus, he's an advisor to Sergius Paulus. It was a very popular thing to do. Romans believed in polytheism. 
you know, Caesar's got one of these Caesar, uh, seers. Uh, Claudius has one of these seers. I'm going to have a seer. It's going to establish me. He was a quote-unquote spiritual magician advisor. Now the name, you, you saw this here, right? Um, that his name is also called Elimus. All right? That simply means magician. That, that's why he's known as that. that it's, it's just this really weird translation. Um, Sergius Paulus is the highest ranking Roman official we have on record to coming to faith in the New Testament. You are about to watch God break all boundaries and create an interest by a man who is broken, by a man who uh, has nothing, by someone who is a leper, by someone whose son is, is on their death. None of that, none of that narrative that we see in the Gospels is at play here. This is a man of power. This is a man who has at his bidding anything done at any point in time. And on top of that, Luke describes him as a man of intelligence. The Gospel reaches to all people. Do not ever in your efforts of outreach think that the Gospel will not hold up to someone who's intelligent. That is not the problem. The problem is with the soul. Whether it's someone of great intelligence or me. I thought that would play out a lot better, Janine. Uh, but thank you. I appreciate that. You didn't bite on that one. That's good. The problem is the soul. But so much of the time, why we struggle with presenting the gospel is we think, this person's so much smarter, it's not going to hold up. Paul and Barnabas didn't blink. But they sought wisdom and insight to be prepared for this audience. The meeting was going to require insight by Paul and Barnabas. They needed to explain the gospel to an intelligent and highly respected Roman official. But the enemy of the gospel was there to do battle through Elimus. He was vested. And he understood what would happen as a result of the gospel. The soul, the soul of Sergius Paulus would be released and he would no longer be needed. And so, Elimus was invested in battling for Paulus' soul, for his own purposes, for his own greedy, selfish purposes. So while Paul and Barnabas may be thinking, we're entering into the courtrooms here to just give a, a defense of the gospel, they found that they were in a major battle. A major battle. Very interesting. The pressure was on how do we respond to high-pressure events? Do we think about that event in terms of the battle for the soul? I encourage you to do that. When you're locked horns with someone, when you're focusing on, on a major challenge in your life, I want you to see an individual apart from you the way that Paul and Barnabas saw Sergius Paulus as a soul that needs to know the life-saving gift of the gospel. Because when we see that, it puts into context that meeting. It puts into context how we approach with wisdom and insight. So let's move to the second point today. Let's go to verses 9 through 10, shall we? 
Go back into your Scripture. And let's pick up the story because it's getting interesting. But Saul, who was also called Paul, whoa, stop! We finally did it! I no longer have to stumble back and forth saying, Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, Paul. Isn't it interesting? This moment is when Paul takes the reins. This very moment is when Paul takes the reins. Now, Saul was his Jewish name. In his effort for missions to be effective to where God had called him, important, important point, he even sacrificed the name that he had, that he had been known by, that he had been understood as. His, all of his character was wrapped up into this. All of his lineage was wrapped up into this name. And he says, God has called me to a new work, and this is my Roman name. And now I am in a Roman territory. I will be called Paul. Fascinating, isn't it? Paul and Hudson Taylor, who borrowed from Paul, Say, I will become all things to all men for the sake of what? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ Jesus. So let's continue on. Fascinating story. Already you got a guy who just changed his name, and that's a, that's a parenthetical thought. So it says, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? So Paul was immediately signed up for the Chamber of Commerce welcome team. Right? Hi, welcome to Crete. We're so glad. As a matter of fact, I could just see, you know, Southwest Airlines would want to hire Paul just based off of what he said here. This is one of those rare moments where we see what we call a rebuke. Now, how do we understand this? Well, big moments require spirit-inspired leadership. And this is one of the first, point, first times that we see Paul really step up in a group effort and establish himself, and he goes to battle. He goes to battle. Now understand, what you're not seeing is the sequence of events. What's happened that you're going to find out at, in verse 12 is that they've already made their presentation. And you can just picture Jafar or Wormtongue, in a minute I'll explain that, standing over Sergius Paulus, countering, lying, twisting for his own selfish reasons. And Paul hears it, and he realizes because of the wisdom and the insight, what's at stake? A soul is at stake. And I am not going to allow you to go unchecked when a soul is at stake. This, what we just heard, doesn't play out today. It doesn't play out today. Um, we look at... We look at individuals that speak with this kind of zeal and fervor as legalistic, cruel, rude, non-loving people, don't we? And yet, you and I have a problem. This is what God's man says. The challenge for us 
is big moments require spirit-inspired leadership. Paul perceives that the battle for the, the battle for Sergius Paulus' soul is on. And so he kicks it into another gear. Not because it's his own agenda, but the scripture said because the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to go to battle for his soul. What's the next point here? Is that Paul uses truth to disarm Bar Jesus, Elimus. He uses truth. If a pastor were to confront or rebuke, or you were to rebuke someone on a spiritual level when it comes to this level, I, I, I really hope that none of those individuals, you don't see Paul talk about himself. You don't see the word I, you don't see the word me, you don't see any of that. Paul takes truth and he confronts it. This reminds me of this scene, and I've been salting this a little bit. It reminds me of this scene in the two towers when Gandalf arrives in Rohan. And he enters the courts of the king. And the king has this advisor. Theoden is the king's name. And he's under a spell. And if you know, I'm seeing the, the heads nodding, that you remember how this individual looked. I want you to get that picture in your mind, and I think it's a beautiful portrayal of what it means to be under. Our souls being under the thumb of Satan and lies. We are literally a prisoner. We are wasting away because of it. And if you had someone you loved or cared about, or if you have a general love for the people around you like Jesus does, how much would you go to battle for the soul? And then if you remember this, this individual, his name is Grima Wormtongue. Boy, they had no lack of good names in this movie. Right? But he's standing right over and he just keeps whispering into his ear and whispering. In, and this is exactly the picture of Elimus. Exactly the picture of Elimus. And do you remember how, how passive Gandalf was in that moment? I think what he did is he, he sent, um, I think he sent like an elf or something to present presents to Wormtongue and, and to invite him to a banquet and to invite him over for a nice lunch where he could have a nice, peaceful conversation with him. No. These, these are his words. <laughs> Literally. Be silent. Keep your forked tongue behind your crooked teeth. Oh, well, we're not going to grow a church talking that way. You know what? We are not going to grow the church if we don't talk this way. In the face of evil, in the face of lies. Amen? Our concern is not about raising up thousands of people that attend, and, and they're here on a Sunday, but they're perishing every day of the week, and ultimately their souls are perishing. We are in a battle for the soul. And Paul recognized that, and he saw the evil... And he confronted it right away. And he confronted it with truth. By the way, there are multiple places where we see this. Matthew 16.23, Jesus himself says to one of his best buddies, Peter, 
And Peter says something so nice. Jesus reveals that he's going to be taken up and sacrificed on the third day. And, and this is brutal news. And Peter says, no, I won't let it happen. Yes, Peter, you got my back. Way to go. Right? Like, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone fishing for a compliment? Like, oh, uh, I, I might lose my job. Everybody at my work might get sacked. And I'm just really, I feel so insecure about, about how intelligent I am. And, and I'm probably going to be the first one to go. And, and you know, because you're hurting. And, and then you're like, you know, come on, someone say something. Someone say, no, 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 you're going to be fine. Right? And they're not saying anything. You're like, because seriously, I, I really think if, if I go... If I go, you know, you know what I mean? You know, if I, if I, and I just don't know if I'm good enough, you know? I just, it's almost like Peter's kind of fishing there. And Jesus says to Peter, oh, Peter, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having that compassion, being so kind, being so loyal, Peter. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's not how it went. Actually, fortunately, that is how it went. Get thee behind me, Satan. How many of you come to church hoping your pastor tells you that? Okay, I'm probably not going to. But what is Jesus, in fact, saying? He understands where this is coming from. Let me take you on a little journey. What Elimus is saying what Paul says to Elimus, what Jesus says to Peter goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And we'll get to it in a minute. I'm giving you a little teaser here. The soul responds to its audience, good or bad. And this is my question for you. Picture Sergius Paulus sitting there and he's hearing the truth. And what we're going to find out is he was astonished. He was amazed at the truth that he was hearing. But he was going to be absolutely blown away at what was about to happen. Now, he was astonished at the truth, and the enemy knows when the gospel is taking root. The enemy knows when the gospel, the seed of wisdom is taking place within the soul, and it's going to start to get some root. And so it starts screaming in the ear, I'm not going to lose this soul. I'm not going to lose this soul. I'm going to throw chaos into your life. I'm going to fool you. I'm going to fool you. Has God really said... Surely if you eat of the tree, you won't die. God just doesn't want you to eat of that tree because if you eat of that tree, you're going to become just like Him. He doesn't really want any competition. Put your tongue behind your crooked teeth. But there was no one to tell Satan at that time that he was lying, that he was deceiving, that he was evil. But Paul recognizes it when he sees it, just like Jesus recognized it when he sees it. And they both understand there's a battle for the soul. And we have to have wisdom and insight when we do this. We have to be led by the Spirit in these moments to know what do we do to approach the soul, to approach the conversation, to recognize when the battle is happening? 
And how do we approach that? The sole response to the audience, good or bad, what are you and I giving audience to for our souls? This is so desperately important. Are we allowing, are we opening the door for Gumby Wormwood, whatever his name is, to come stand right here and speak into our ear continually? What are you exposing yourself to that is counter to what God has for your soul to, to flourish, to be nourished, to be saved? There's a continual battle. And some of what we can do in that battle is we can eliminate the wormwood, the worm tongue, the limuses out of our life. Be gone. I encourage you, practice a little bit of what Paul says here in your own life. Look at those things that you have allowed in that are destroying your soul, that are counter to who God is, and tell them to be gone. Now, as we look towards this, there's a great quote from Ortberg in this book, Soul Keeping. The soul must orbit around something other than itself, something it can worship. It is the nature of the soul to need. So whether we say we're actively pursuing or not, I want you to think all you coffee addicts, and I'm not going to name certain brands because then I'm going to get all you people, and oh, that one stinks. Oh, I can't believe you mentioned that one. Just you coffee addicts. You have allowed something into your life that is speaking boldly like a nice dark roast, like a beautiful latte, or a grande mocha with no whip and one pump of raspberry. I don't know where that came from. But you have allowed, now understand this is a straw man argument, right? I'm picking, on a, I'm picking on something that's safe. I'm picking on coffee. I'm expecting you to do the wise thing and understand where else this goes. We have allowed these things to come in that have an effect on us. That has an effect, and some of you, it's a very positive effect. How much more would we say in the morning, and I challenge you this week, when you reach for that cup of coffee, Fill me, Holy Spirit. Let's see if you can do better than the coffee does. Not so much to put the Holy Spirit against coffee, okay? That's not the point. The point is is that what are we feeding our soul with? What are we feeding our body with? And I, I dare say we are so distracted, we have so much worm tongue in our life, we have so much alignment in our life, that we're losing track of the thing that actually feeds and nourishes the soul. How about if we longed after the Holy Spirit every day, every morning, more than we do coffee? I have now ruined your coffee experience. Thank you very much. You know, the soul needs. It always needs. The question is, what are we giving it audience to? That's one of our biggest takeaways today. So in, in wrapping up this morning, the battle for the soul, we have these last two verses, 11 and 12 says this, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, what? He believed. A man of intelligence 
believe. This is one of those things I love talking with people that, that want to disparage Christianity and faith. And, and their big blanket statement is this. It's for people that are not intelligent and need a crutch. They just don't want to do the work and figure out how science works or, you know, those kinds of things. Folks, the highest ranking Roman official, the governor of Crete, a man known for intelligence. By the way, he sees an incredible thing happen here, and we'll get to that in a second, but it's the message that astonishes him. It's the teaching that astonishes him. It's the teaching that feeds his soul. And as we look at this point, big moments require powerful actions and powerful teaching is our our point this morning. Big moments require powerful actions and powerful teaching. Now Paul isn't what? He's not satisfied with a rebuke. He's given a rebuke, but I think that there's a little going back to understanding what happened for him personally. I think maybe he relates a little bit to Elimus. Now this is me speaking. This isn't the text. But why would I say that? Because Paul heard a lot of teaching about the Gospel. But it wasn't until God blinded him for a temporary time that he really changed. And on one level, we may be looking and saying how, how harsh Paul is being with Elimus. Hopefully what you've seen, what I've brought out, is Paul is not trying to battle Elimus. He is battling the spirit behind Elimus. Now, I think, and this is me, I, you'll not find this in any commentaries, don't go searching for it. I think there's a good argument to see the connection with the curse that he calls down now on Elimus. He's already rebuked Elimus. He's already done his job. He now has Sergius Paulus's attention. Why go the distance and now call down a curse upon Elimus to the point where he is blind instantly for a period of time? Because I think what we hear in Paul's message is what happened to him and what really changed him thoroughly in combination with the teaching. I think he saw Elimus' soul like Jesus saw Peter's soul. And while on one level he's rebuking Elimus just like Jesus rebuked Peter, he's also doing whatever is necessary because he's in a battle not just for Sergius Paulus' soul, but I think I think maybe he sees himself in a battle for Elimus' soul as well. This is the ultimate tough love thing, right? So different battles require different actions. The battle for, he doesn't doesn't call a curse down on Sergius Paulus, but that wasn't the battle he was fighting with Sergius Paulus. It was the one he was fighting for the soul of Elimus. As we move on, Think about this concept. Speaking to the soul often requires more than talking. It often requires more than talking. Teaching can be extremely powerful, my brothers and sisters. And we'll see that here when I finish the text. But truly, having those events where because of the teaching informing you, 
we make decisions, we step out in faith. This nourishes our soul. It takes the teaching, gives roots to it, it cultivates, it grows, it feeds and nourishes the soul. So sometimes it requires more than just talking. We need to experience the power of God. Last point today, big moments require life-changing results. How many of you have ever been in that big meeting and you won your promotion because you hit the home run? I, I was just telling the story the other day. It doesn't relate to what we're talking about at all, but I just feel inspired to tell it. Um, no, hopefully it does relate. Uh, I worked for a company that, um, I won't say who they are, but we were right down on Hollywood Boulevard and part of our company where corporate was, or part of corporate was uh, right above the same building that Jimmy Kimmel does his production. And, uh, and so we had a, a basement. And this company did things like the King Kong ride at Universal. Um, <clears throat> uh, they worked at, at Disney Paris and doing those productions. They did the ghost. So entertainment, right? And I was in one of the most exciting branches of that entire company, the accounts payable clerk. Woohoo! This is so exciting. And some of you really laugh. You're like, oh, now I know why that company doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and so, just crazy. I had to cut these checks that were going out to these companies in Japan and, and this place that we had for animatronics in Valencia called Roboshop. $3 million, I'm writing a check for $3 million. $5 million, I'm writing a check. And, and all of this is going on. And, and so, we were in a building across the street, and our building was torn down. That's where the Kodak Theater is now. And I always joke with my kids when the Oscars come on, which we never watch anyway, but I always say, yeah, my, my desk was there in balcony 4B. And uh, one day I'm sitting there and towards the end of the day and I was done and I had my drawer open and had my files. I was just running dumb tapes on checking phone bills or something. And, and uh, the, the accounts payable um, director was asking me a question about something. And I said, yeah, I, I think it's payable in, in 60, net 60. I think we're okay. The president of the company walks by the office door. My feet are up on the desk. I have a choice now. Get fired and look like I don't know what I'm doing and I was messing around. Or just go with it. Just be strong. Be powerful, right? So this was a life-changing experience for me. I went, and Lillian went, because he kept walking. We thought we dodged a bullet and my feet are still up. And then he comes back and tucks his head in the office. And he says, hey, can you tell me what the, uh, what the returns were last month for, uh, for you know, such and such company? I never took my feet down. I just leaned over and I went like this. I actually knew the answer, but I, I did this to make it look like I needed to have that drawer open and I needed my feet up in order to access the... I don't know why that works, but that was my only shot. And so I'm, I'm referencing and I go... Oh yeah, uh, it was just under 6%, but they're going to come in with another 15% probably over the next 30. He goes, okay, cool. He just walked away. And Lillian is passed out on the floor behind me, <laughs> right? Life-changing events. You put yourself into these moments. That has to do with really nothing. Those are all tasks. But folks, we face life-changing moments for the soul every day. Every day. How do we know that it's there? When a life changes. When a life changes. That's how we know this was a life-changing moment 
when Paul and Barnabas arrive in this town, they get this audience, they think, okay, we got to do a, a home run presentation here. All of a sudden, they realize they're in a battle for a soul. And what happens? Paul steps up and he leads. He leads. A big moment, and he leads. And what is the result of that leadership under the guise and, and instruction of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Sergius Paulus believed his soul embraced light. Elimus was blind and in darkness. His soul embraced darkness. Now I pray that Paul's understanding and assessment of that battle yielded fruit for Elimus as well. But my encouragement to you is this. Is your soul more important than any task? Any position in life? Any circumstance? Is someone else's soul more important than your own personal feelings? Absolutely it is. So my encouragement to you is look back to this story and see this one-off somewhat where Paul goes to battle for someone's soul because the event, the big event, circumstance, demanded it. And because the Holy Spirit led him to do so. And use truth. Use the gospel of truth to battle that which seeks to deceive and twist. And our prayer is always the way this story ended, which is beautiful. Sergius Paulus believed. He was amazed at what happened because of the power of God through Paul and Barnabas. But he was astonished by the teaching. Remember, it is the message of the Gospel. It is the character of Jesus Christ that will plant that seed of hope and wisdom and life change within a soul and will change a soul for life. Let me go ahead and close in prayer this morning. I'm going to call the worship band up in a minute. And as we do so, I encourage you, think through your life, your current moments, your current circumstances, and think about how truth regulates what you do, what you don't do, how you engage with people, how you don't engage with people. And insert yourself into the battle for the soul. This morning as I do so, I want you to know you'll, you'll hear some things in a moment about how you can get involved. How you can be part of this opportunity to engage in the battle for the soul. And moments that require so much from us. So be paying attention because we have practical application coming. All right? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the blessed assurance that the truth of the gospel brings. Thank you for the amazing teaching that we see in this story this morning. Simply, it just seems like there is a, a mission happening here. The gospel happens. Uh, this Roman official um, believes, and we move on. Father, thank you that there's so much more here that we can take, we can understand, we can see how in our own lives, 
that our soul always needs. And we will give audience for our soul to different things in our life. May we be compelled to make sure that that audience is with the truth. Use that in our lives, Lord. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.